Hello, Nave. Hello, Trev. How are you doing? All right. I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to We Need to We tr- Need to oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. Podcast. And today, we are talking about the 2001 Coen Brothers film, The Man Who Wasn't There. A classic, isn't it, Nave? Yeah, it is. Uh... I, I can't help, I was thinking about this earlier, actually, and I can't help but feel that being the first film we're reviewing that both of us had in our own personal DVD collection, that we might have a slightly biased opinion. That's all right, it's not, we're not here to criticise as much as just discuss films, you know, so yeah. if we discuss a film we love, great. So I did actually compile my top 50 films, and this, at one point, was my favourite of the current films i think it was miller's crossing then fargo then the big lebowski and then this but i th- i think maybe fargo would pip it these days right but uh what would you say your favorite uh current films are they my favorite Cohen films they've all got a very lethargic feel about the way the the stories unfold haven't they you know yeah and uh i think just the the style of this being the black and white as well uh i think this would definitely be up there at the top of my um favorite cohen films but the big the big yeah. lebowski's up there but i think that's quite possibly just because you've made me watch it so many times <laughs> i know i was obsessed <laughs> when it first came out but then i was a bit of a stoner back then i think it's a stoner's film yeah um yeah They've not done a lot of dud films, have they, the Coen brothers? I think even when they're dud, they're still decent movies, aren't they? Yeah, I haven't seen, by a long shot, I haven't seen all of their films. But uh, I've I've definitely, there is another one somewhere on the tip of my tongue that I own that I like of theirs, but I can't for the life of me think what it is right now. Nilla's Crossing? No. Raising Arizona? No. Barton Fink? No. It'll pop to you. It'll yeah, come. it'll come. So, before we get into this, have you watched any other films this week, sir? I haven't, mate. Actually, no. How about yourself? I have, actually. I've watched a couple. Um, one I won't discuss because it's part of a new series I'm doing, Nate, where I'm reviewing on our YouTube channel, Hag Films. I'm reviewing films that I own that I've never watched. I keep banging on about these, but now I thought, right, I'm going to start going through them, one a week. Yeah. So... I watched one of those, but also I watched because I hadn't watched it since it came out of the cinema, and because I've been watching a Stephen King series. Yes, and one of the characters in that is the same person who plays the clown Pennywise in the new It film. So I thought oh, I'll give It Part Two another watch, and uh, yeah, I was less impressed watching it again. To be honest, okay, it's nearly three hours long. There's good points about it. The clown is brilliant. He does he's a really good job. There's some great casting of the actors playing their older selves of the children. Really good casting and some really good actors. But the film is just, it's a gimmicky sort of horror. It's full of horror tropes. And these scenes that aren't even in the book, they just added these scenes. But it's like the whole middle of the film is too long and too repetitive. It's like... One person goes into this room. They're in a scary situation. They've met the clown. They get out. They're okay. The next person goes into a room. They have a scary situation. They get out. It's okay, but they've met the clown. The next person. It's just that all the way through. And it's just like, you don't feel like the story's going on. And you're not, each time it happens, it's less effective than the last time. So I think they could have 
done something a bit more subtle with it. But that's just me having a rant. I love the book, It. It's one of my favourite books, and I just don't think the films really do it justice. Okay. Disappointed. <sighs> I've got to be honest, there's never been a burning desire in me to watch the, the films. I don't know anything about the storyline or the plot for It. No. Might read the book one day, but I'm not overly fussed about the oh, film. the book's great. I do love a Stephen King book. And you always feel like you've accomplished something when you get to the end of a Stephen King book, you know? Because it's always like, it's like reading the Bible twice, <laughs> most of them. You know? <laughs> I was also going to say, we got a Facebook page up and running now. Lovely. So if you are listening to this, yes, you can go over to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about movies podcast, all one word. And you have to say it like that. We need to talk about movies podcast. Well, we need to talk about movies podcast. Yeah, and you can go over there, comment on anything or answer questions that we might put up. Or you can just watch the super extended version of Lord of the Rings that I've shared on there. Have you seen that? No. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't. I did send it to you. I wonder if you had time to watch it. I haven't quite watched all nine hours or ten hours of it. but uh, I know, Peter Jackson would be proud, I think, to see this version. And this is just the Fellowship um, of the Ring, isn't it? This isn't... It's just the first one, yeah. The Fellowship of the yeah. Ring. And basically Good. what it is, it's Lord of the Rings. And at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, when Sam takes a step... To what he, he he stops, doesn't he, at the edge of yeah. the Shire, and he says, "If I take one more step, this is the furthest I've ever walked from the Shire, or something." The furthest I've ever been away from home, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And then he takes a step, and then from then on, every time Sam takes a step in the film, it cuts back to that sort of thirteen, fourteen second clip. <laughs> it's just oh, it's agonising, but it's just brilliant. Somebody definitely had. A fair amount of time on their hands, didn't they? Anyway, if you're interested in watching that, it's up on the Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about movies.podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, again. www.facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about movies podcast. <sighs> All one word. If anybody actually does manage to watch the whole of that, let us know how you feel at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to know how someone feels at the end of it. Uh, there's also a hilarious trailer, a mashup trailer between Jurassic Park and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's really good. <laughs> I've shared that there. If ever I see any of these uh, videos, I will share stuff like that over on the Facebook page. Or you can find us on YouTube anyway and comment on YouTube on the videos there. We've got a few comments from previous weeks that we haven't men- we didn't mention any last week. Right. You want to go rude? through some of these? No, I just we just got carried away last week. I think we got into it. So uh, last week we talked about Greenland, didn't we, Gerard Butler? Do you remember? No, we didn't. Hey, no, we talked about Infernal Affairs. That hasn't gone live yet. So yeah, sorry. We're always we 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 behind. <laughs> we've talked about Greenland the other week, and right? Yeah, we've had some comments on that. Right. T and Valhalla. They said yes, Nafe. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Very much worth a watch. Good film. Telling you. Yeah. So they look forward to a podcast on that. So maybe we will have to do that. Yep. Anne Taylor says, Oh, I'm really looking forward and loving these so much. And I'm not a movie buff at all. But listening to you both talk about certain movies actually makes me want to watch or not watch the ones you discuss. Um, Bulldog Badger said, 
I loved because we talked about Tom Hanks as well in that episode, and he said I loved Tom Hanks in the Terminal. Oh, and that should have been terrible on paper. Yes, that is brilliant. It is a good film. See, that's one of Spielberg's, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's oh my god, he's so good in that, isn't he? I've only watched it the once. I own it, but I've only watched it the once when it came out. And Jim Bryan says Terminal was fantastic, but you can't forget Big and Splash. And then he says Private Ryan. <sighs> I don't know. You can forget Splash. <laughs> that was Ron Howard's first film, I think. I think that was his was debut it? film, yeah. So this week, we'd like you to comment on what your favourite Cohen Brothers film is, or if you're into the Cohen Brothers films, or if not, which, who is your favourite directors? Let's ask something like that. But um, we will, at some point, get round to doing some uh, listeners' recommendations. But at the moment, we're just going to talk about the man who wasn't there. Brilliant film. Isn't it? Ah, oh, I'd forgotten how good it was. Yeah, me too. Actually, I got got to be honest. After I watched it, I wanted to watch it again. Well, I kind of did watch it again. I literally stopped it and then realised there was an audio commentary with Billy Bob Thornton and the Cohen Brothers. Right. So I sat and watched it again, listening to them talk. And they, the Cohen Brothers are just like children. The way they talk, <laughs> just giggling and laughing all the way through. And, but they're never very insightful. You know, you always want more. And they don't give you that sort of... They're always a bit cagey about how they work. Right. You know, so much goes on in their films that they just don't explain and they don't feel the need to explain. And I think that's perfect, really, isn't it? I think that's one of the reasons the films work so good. You know, if there's one thing I hate in any film or TV, it's the director treating me like an idiot, feeling that every single detail needs to be explained in detail or over-explained. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like, I enjoy doing some of the work myself. Yeah. I think it adds to the experience, you know. And the Cohen brothers are certainly ones for that. But at the same time, it's not all like, oh, I'm baffled. There's just bits in there that you think, what's that all about? Like uh, the Roswell stuff in uh, The Man Who Wasn't There. Yeah. But... um. The Cohen brothers, actually, they got Billy Bob Thornton to agree to being in the film on the pitch that they said, do you want to be in a film? And he's like, go on, what's it about? And they said, it's about a, a barber who wants to become a dry cleaner. And he went, I'm in. Done. <laughs> they said, yeah, it's a high I concept mean... plot. <laughs> and it's basically is the, <laughs> the tall and short of it brilliant essentially yeah essentially that is the tall and short i mean he wants to become a dry cleaner and then i think he wants to become uh the manager for a upcoming pianist scarlett johansson yeah so he's a bit all over the place yeah he's looking for something isn't he basically he's and he finds solace in uh, her music doesn't he yeah so it's starting at the beginning. He's like he's a like as we say he's a barber, chain smoking barber, dunny smoke. And the Cohen brothers they capture that era, don't they? It looks like you're watching a film from the fifties, doesn't it? You know, just completely. Not just because it's black and white, but the way people talk, the way people are dressed, the way the sets are dressed. I mean, Roger Deakins' cinematography is just fantastic in this, isn't it? Mate, honestly, every scene. I love the fact that it's black and white, right? But I love the use of the shadows. You know, there are scenes like when they're sat in the private office of 
Big Dave. Big Dave Brewster, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's all shadow, like, you know, and it's a very sort of shady conversation going on as well. Like, um, and it's something that you can do, but it's never as effective with colour because you don't get the um, the contrast so much. But it's, oh, it's brilliant. I loved it. I think as well, there's scenes where Ed, he's in the dark of what's going on in that scene. He's literally in the dark. Yeah. You'll see his face is completely in shadow, like the scene where he goes into Big Dave's office. Um, but Big Dave now, he's he knows what's gone on because basically big dave paul gandolfini is james gandolfini james gandolfini yeah james gandolfini is having an affair with francis mcdormand who is billy bob thornton's wife ed's wife doris crane doris crane so billy bob thornton we're going to spoil this (laughs) you got a I don't know how we can carry on talking about it without do you well i think if you're going to listen to a podcast about a film yeah, I don't think we need to explain that there's a spoiler alert coming because we are. It, it's impossible for us to discuss the film without discussing no, the plot. But if you haven't seen it, try and track it down because it is fantastic. And then yeah, come and listen. Stop listening now. Fuck <laughs> off. Watch the film. Come back. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he thinks to get this money for the dry cleaning, he's going to... Should we talk about this in order? of how it all works out. I don't know. That doesn't sound like our style. No, (laughs) we are all over the place. But, um, yeah, he sort of bribes or or blackmails Big Dave, pretending to be someone else, and says, I know you're having an affair with Ed Crane's wife. Pay up or I'm going to tell Ed Crane. Yeah, because uh, basically a man's come to him uh, talking about an opportunity in dry cleaning, isn't he? Yeah. And he said, look, you know, my investors pulled out... I'm £10,000 short, I need £10,000. And he's, he's he's telling Billy Bob this whilst he's cutting his hair, isn't he? Yeah. It's just John Polito. And I think he's fantastic. As, oh, what's his name? Creighton Tolliver. Creighton Tolliver. Tolliver. All the names. I mean, it, the Cohen brothers are just great with names, dialogue, and just like characters that just, they're so ordinary but what they're saying is just like his brother Frankie, just the constant talking, incessant, mind-numbing talking <laughs> next to him, isn't it? And Billy Bob Thornton, he talks in the voiceover, but he hardly says a word otherwise, does he? Hence the man who wasn't there. So Ed's a barber. He works with his brother Frankie, who's, who is his brother-in-law Frankie, isn't it? Who's his wife's husband is his wife's brother yeah is he a polack no he's an eye tower isn't he oh is he right yeah of course he is because they go to the italian yeah uh, yeah 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 party didn't they of course they do uncle frank is riding gary baldy uncle frank is riding gary baldy i love that scene and the pie eating competition oh it's just brilliant it just it's, oh, it's just no end of it isn't it it's just fantastic all the way through this film but um where was we? John Polito yeah. comes into the shop, but he's just a great actor, and his spiel is just just fantastic. He's not just a great actor; he's a very, very much the sort of typecast sort of actor, isn't he? He's he's got a very sort of unique, specific way about him, isn't he? Like you know, yeah, he's very much like Danny DeVito, isn't he? But he's 
more animated, I think, than Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito would tend to play more of a sort of a, a Weasley little character, whereas yeah. John Polito has got a, a far more, especially in the Coen Brothers films, he's got a far more interesting range. Uh, I know he plays one of the gang bosses in um, Miller's Crossing. Right. Um, he plays the detective in The Big Lebowski. But in this, just the scene where Ed takes the money to him, Oh no! He goes to tell him he's interested in the in the deal, and then uh, John Polito sat in his bed in the hotel room, and he just undoes his tie and it's a, a wink and a little smirk. <laughs> it's like Ed's like, "Did you just make a pass at me?" <laughs> Maybe it's brilliant. You were well out of line, Mister. <laughs> it's just so funny. He just it's just great. And how he gets all sweaty when he's counting the money out, and he's like <laughs> mopping his brow. And he's like sweating over the money yeah 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 and then when he's um like when ed crane's sort of questioning the receipt and he's not going to do a runner and he gets all offended <laughs> doesn't he you know what i mean but the thing is right is uh what billy bob does to try and get this ten thousand pounds is he writes a letter to big dave telling him that he's aware that big dave's having an affair with doris crane his own wife because the the start of the film leads up and leads into his suspicions about his wife's affair, about his wife's uncaringness. And, and you can see there's a lot of unhappiness in their marriage. They're, go, they're going to parties together. They're going to, they're having friends over sort of socializing to get entertaining, you know, and they entertain big Dave and his wife. And you can see in that meal that big Dave and Doris Crane are hitting it off and they spend a lot of time working together and, Big Dave's going to branch out and sort of set up his own... Uh, he's telling all his war stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he's, he he wants to set up a, another shop and he wants um, Doris Crane to sort of run the shop that he's working in at the minute and sort of all of this. And, you know, you can see that those two characters are getting on really well and it just seems that it's unfortunate they've each had to bring along their respective partners, isn't it? <laughs> but you they know? don't seem bothered by it and Ed is just sat quietly and Big Dave's wife just has this startled look on her face yeah yeah but this the, the brilliant thing about billy bob's cr- character this ed crane is is the fact that you know the film's called the man who wasn't there and literally every scene he's in is like people are just talking as if he isn't there aren't they you know what i mean yeah. and so they're that his wife and Big Dave are talking as if he's not even there. Like, you know what I mean? And he doesn't, he doesn't speak a lot in his scenes, does he? No. He's like downtrodden, a shell of a man, you know, and his wife wore the trousers and he done everything. And But he's yeah. got this plan, hasn't he? Ed at least has something about him, doesn't he, to want to do this. Yeah. But you think, oh, oh, good plan, Ed, good plan. Until he gets sort of uh, found out about it goes into Big Dave's office. Yeah. Which was what I was basically going to say earlier is when he gets in there and Big Dave has worked out what's happened and Ed Crane gets in the office and his face is in shadow and Big Dave is sat at the desk in the light and he, like, so Big Dave knows. And Ed is, like, in the dark. Yeah. As soon as Big Dave lets him know, you know, I know it was you, Ed sits down and then he's in the light too. But there's several, several times this happens throughout the film. And I just think it's really clever and just really subtle, but just brilliant, you know? But yeah, so he goes to see Big Dave and then Big Dave is like, I know it was you, 
blackmailing me and he's not going to stand for it. And he tries to strangle Billy Bob Thornton, smashes him up against that window. The glass just snicks behind him. And then this is where the plot takes another shift. And Ed Crane, you think he punches Big Dave in the throat or in the neck, but then you can just see blood spewing out and you realise Ed Crane's got a letter opener in his hand. And then Big Dave, the way he dies, it's just the Coen brothers again. It's like they have real agonising, sort of embarrassing death scenes in their films, don't they? And I think this one is just as embarrassing as any, where he's just crawling up to his desk and he can't move. And it's just his arse just pointing up in the air as he's (laughs) wriggling, trying to crawl under the desk until he just collapses in a pool of blood. And then there's Ed Crane stood there with no blood on his hands, the man who wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I love the most about this whole scene is that they've just come back from the Italian wedding, haven't they? Yeah. And they've got the brother-in-law in in the back of the car and he's drunk too much. And then Ed starts narrating again, you know, saying about how Doris loved him and they met when they went out with some friends and she she liked Ed because he didn't say anything. (laughs) And then he says, and within a couple of weeks we was married. And then the phone rings and it's big Dave. I need you to come over. And he's put his wife to bed. And as he's doing the narration. So then the big Dave rings and he goes to see big Dave. The fight happens. He murders big Dave. He comes home. He sits back on the bed and says, and two weeks later, it, it, <laughs> she wanted to marry me. Yeah, yeah. And it just continues from there. It's just fantastic. It's just like the big murder's happened. And then he carries on as if nothing has happened. He's very, very emotionless. The, the only time in actual fact you see any real emotion is about Scarlett Johansson's um, music, isn't it? About Birdie Abundus, Birdie yeah. Abundus's music. You know, that's the only time you really see him come to life. And then he barely comes to life. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, like, subtle smile. Or He's always just sort of sat, isn't he? Very still and very... A really great role for him, actually, isn't it? Because he's quite a wild sort of character, isn't he? And you see him in films like Bad Santa and Mr. Woodcock, is it? He's always, yeah. This is definitely... He's got that face for this 1950s film, isn't Yes, he? in abundance. You know, he looks like an old actor, doesn't he? Like your Humphrey Bogart or someone like that. He's got the mouth line. It is a role that seems to have almost been not just written for him, but designed with with him in mind. You know what I mean? I couldn't imagine any other actor I know playing that role and looking right in it. Yeah, fantastic. Have you ever seen Sling Blade? No. That was a film he wrote and directed. As exciting as it sounds. Oh, it's brilliant. It's Billy Bob Thornton. He plays this sort of simple bloke who killed his mother and his mother's boyfriend when he was a child. And then he's put into like a mental asylum. And then he comes out uh, when he's an, uh, an adult and he goes back to the town where he's born and he befriends this little boy. Yeah. It's like E.T., but with uh, a criminal, <laughs> a, a simple criminal. Sounds great. It, no, it's fantastic. Really good. Billy Bob Thornton, brilliant in it. What's it called? Sling Blade. Sling Blade. Yeah. Well worth a watch if you haven't already seen. Brother, it. where art thou? Oh, oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah, we completely forgot to mention that. That's the other one you own. Yeah. Do you know that's probably the Coen Brothers film I've watched the least. I think I've only ever watched it once. 
I really do need to watch The only that. line I can remember, and it's, God damn it, Dale, not the livestock. Yeah, but anyway, when they was making Hudsucker Proxy, they had a hairdresser scene. And in the hairdresser, they had some, like, 50s-styled props. And there was a prop, uh, a poster with yeah. all the different hairstyles of the 50s. So that was the germination of what would become the man who wasn't there. But they love that sort of dialogue and detail. Like, he goes through all the different haircuts. The flat top, the ivy, the crew, the vanguard, the junior contour, and occasionally the executive contour. <laughs> it's like... Everything about the Coen brothers—they—they're they, great. As like I say, the details, but it's always funny details. You know, things that you smirk at. That, and it's the same with names like Nerdlinger, Cretin Tolliver, <laughs> Freddie Riedenschneider. Brilliant. When they go through these details, like you say, these this list of haircuts and styles. You know, that's been carefully scripted and chosen, and it has no real purpose it doesn't drive the plot it's just there for almost for their own amusement you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. i love it i think with the coen brothers as well everything in the coen brothers films they don't leave a lot of room for uh sort of actors to ad lib right and to the extent that like in fargo with william h macy every time he talks he's sort of like uh well uh you know all that hesitation every single hesitation is in the script and they all sort of do it different and they're like no 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 you were meant to say um there in between that uh and hey they they see it that's specific that's precise it, it must be a great pairing to work for i mean i know everyone sort of wants to work for them but it's quite an easy process really because they've got it that switched on. And you've got Roger Deakins as a cinematographer, and he's apparently he's one of those cinematographers who is just that instinctive. He can set things up really quick, so there's no sort of endless standing around as he's setting up lights. And and the effect, you know, the, the quality of it. I mean, some of the lighting in this film, as we've touched on before, but, you know, there's that. Uh, UFO sort of theme through this. Yeah. Where Big Day's wife comes up and she sort of said, I think it was the government who's killed him because we saw a UFO. Specific to that time as well, isn't it? Roswell and that in the 50s. But there's lighting all the way through it that sort of looks like UFOs. And like the shot where later on they're talking to Freddy Weidenschneider or whatever. And the lighting coming down in the prison just looks like ufo lighting doesn't it yeah 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 going back to the plot so we've got ed crane has killed big dave he's gone home he thinks he's got away with it goes to work the next day and these two policemen turn up and uh call him outside and you think uh they, they're on to him yeah when they when they turn up to explain to him that his wife's been arrested for big dave's murder it's just brilliant because again, they're just the way they're talking to each other uh, about such a shit job that they've got to go and tell the husband of the woman, the female murderer who's cooking the books <laughs> that they've just arrested, <laughs> that his wife's just been arrested without any sort of seeming consideration or care for uh, Ed Crane's feelings. And they're talking amongst themselves as if he isn't there. This, this theme <laughs> continues all the way through. Brilliant. I love that little scene. Yeah. They're like, Oh, you know, we don't want this shit detail. And then the 
cut to the chase or something, Ed says, and then the first one sort of goes, you tell him. <laughs> he just passes it straight off to his mate. It's just fantastic. They're just real divers, aren't they? Yeah. And again, later on, they pop up again as Ed is in the hospital at near the end of the film, and they're leaning over him. Is he awake? Is he sit? And then he says something, and they're like, what? And he cuts them off, and they cut him off, and it's just a real awkward scene, isn't it? It's like, and that's another thing I love about them is that they do awkwardness really well, don't they? The Coens. Yeah. Another director I think does it sort of equally as well is Wes Anderson. <laughs> it's a real great awkward moment in his films for yeah. comic effect. Yeah. So now Ed Crane is has now his wife is. Um, sort of in prison they think because she's they found evidence that she's embezzled the money for dave's business yeah for to pay the blackmail we know it was ed i doubt ed's wife even suspects that it was ed at all does she no so francis mcdormand is great in this as his wife as well isn't she yeah she's married to joel cohen she was first in their films uh um blood simple their very first film yeah so she's in it and she's great at all sorts of different roles in their films, especially she's funny, but she can be really serious as well. Which is your favourite of her roles in the Cohen films? Do you think? Maybe? Oh, it's got to be got to be Fargo. It's Marge, <laughs> just brilliant, just brilliant. So in this one, you got um, as we said, we got Billy Bob Thornton. It's great. Francis McDormand, Michael Badalucho as the brother. The crap that he talks. But you only ever hear snippets of conversation. And it's like where Ed's sat down. I think is it the time when the policeman come round to tell him his wife's been arrested. And he's just sat there having a cigarette at the side of the shop. And you can just hear his brother-in-law saying, you pump it. And then someone else saying, no, you don't pump it. You choke it. If you choke it, you flood it. No, if you pump it, you flood it. But they just seem to go on and on in circles. And you just... You just think he must be really frustrated in his life. He's just not going anywhere. And he's just sat in amongst all these people having these real mundane conversations. You almost become frustrated with his life for him, don't you? Because you sympathise with him and you think, oh, okay, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's the guy that he's trying to blackmail is quite well off. And he's having his way with his wife behind his back. So you don't feel any sympathy. You don't feel bad for him at all. You think, yeah, that's great. Yeah, go and blackmail him. All you're doing is blackmail him for a bit of money to uh, get your own way. All right. He gets forced into a situation where it's like, it's your life or his life. Ultimately, yes, you're blackmailing him, but he was having his way with your missus. So go on, mate, go for it. So he defends himself, ends up killing Big Dave. And then like they... they Everybody suspects the wife because she was cooking the books and it's like, oh, yeah, got stabbed in the neck with a lady weapon, that little girly knife. Yeah, must have been her. She's the type. And uh, just everything's working out for him. And you're like, oh, brilliant. Yeah, go for it. Like, you know. And even when he, he sort of, they're there in the prison cell and he says, I did it. I killed Big Dave. And then the lawyer's going, go on. He basically confess, confesses to everything. And the lawyer just looks and says, yeah. Nah, they never buy it. <laughs> Just dismisses it straight away. No one listens. Except from but perhaps his wife. Perhaps at that point it's like she realises that Yeah, there's a slight there's a very slight look from her, isn't there? Yeah. Is it Tony Showlob? Show yeah, uh, Freddie the- Riedenschneider. He's just great. It's they all have great lines and great dialogue and he's got one of the he's got a really good scene where he's 
talking about um, reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt. Yeah, you believe he could get them off, and when they're in the court, and not down to him. It's just every time you think you know where it's, what's going to happen, and yeah. you just pulled left and right all the way through this film so then we finally get to the court date and um francis mcdormand doris crane doesn't doesn't get to the stand does she no she's not arrived yet has she and then her brother is there sat next to ed why haven't they come ed why hasn't it he's just constantly asking question after question to a man who just never says anything (laughs) it's just because he's got to talk he knows Ed doesn't know, but he just cannot stop talking. But there, we all know people that when they get nervous, <laughs> they just can't shut up, and they don't even want a response from you, do they? They're I don't just... think he's even. I don't think he, he it's even just because he's nervous. He's like it the whole way through, isn't it? But he? yeah, 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 yeah. But... <laughs> Maybe like exaggerated in this circumstance, but but then like when we find out that um, Francis McDormand right has taken her own life in the cell, right. That's like, in some respects, that's the whole story totally sewn up, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? As far as the murder's concerned, we're just like, oh, wow. So, like, they've convicted his wife, pretty much, you know. Yeah. And uh, so she's she's dead. So they don't need to try her because as far as they're concerned, the main suspect for the murder has just killed herself. That's pretty much justice. We can write that off. That's great. Let's move on with our lives. And you think, oh, yeah, sweet, brilliant, cool. Yeah. And then um, he's sat in a bar afterwards, isn't he? Yeah, the mortician or something, isn't it? Hasn't he just done the autopsy on his wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and the more, more, the mortician, like, I don't understand. I mean, it works as a scene. It's a great scene and I love it. But just just try and get into the mindset of that mortician for a brief moment. Right, you're going up to the husband of the deceased, and you let slip to him that oh, yeah, I did the autopsy. Your wife was pregnant. Well, yeah, he hasn't. He's, he he says he thinks the husband should know, doesn't he? Oh, right. He doesn't understand that Billy Bob is. He knows it's. He knows Billy Bob is the husband. It's Ed yeah. Crane, right? But okay, that's why he's like called him to this bar, and he's like said, look, you know, I've got something to tell you. I think the husband should know. He says, your wife was pregnant. And then he says, we haven't had sex for two years or something. And then he's like, well, I don't know what to say about that or something, doesn't he? And he just gets up and walks off. (laughs) I'd like to think in that situation, if I was the only person alive that knew, I wouldn't tell anyone because there's no good going to come of it. No, no. You know what I mean? But it's brilliant because he goes in and he's just like, oh, yeah, I thought you ought to know. And it's just like, in actual fact, all he's doing is driving a nail further in or and, and just twisting the knife, isn't it? Yeah. It's another one of those scenes as well. When they go in to the bar, it's filmed from like one angle and Ed is in the, sh- in the shadows again. Yeah, he's in the dark. Yeah. He's almost a silhouette. A lot of this, he's almost a silhouette. Some of the silhouette shots in this are beautiful. Yeah. But in this, it's like just a sliver of light down his face. And he's, for the most part, in the dark. And the doctor's like, tells him. As soon as the doctor tells him, they swap angles. And then Ed's in the light because then he knows something the doctor doesn't know. The doctor's then in the dark because Ed knows that it's not his baby. Yeah. And I just think it's clever like that. 
I need to watch that, it again to see this. Yeah, it does. It happens several times in the film, and I just think, oh, when you know what's going on in the plot, yeah, you can sort of notice how they've framed things to sort of accentuate that point. You know, it's really clever. Uh, doesn't someone ask him at some point why you never had children? Isn't that at the wedding? Like one of the elderly, one of the old Italian women, doesn't she yeah. say? Why yeah, didn't you never have children or something? That's right before she gets, uh, Miss, uh, Doris Crane gets drunk, isn't it? The Italian wedding is great. Uncle Frankie on the, on the, riding the pig. Garibaldi. Garibaldi. And then the pie eating competition. <laughs> and she just doesn't want to be there. She's, she goes up to the newly married couple, doesn't she? And she's quite rude and offensive <laughs> yeah. when she's drunk off her head and, just, and puts Ed in a real awkward situation. <laughs> yeah, just like, Says something really shit about being married. Yeah. And it's like, Ed's like, oh, that's, my wife has just said that. <laughs> <laughs> says a lot for our wedding, our marriage. Yeah. I just love, like I said, I keep going back to the dialogue. and I just remember one, one bit of dialogue in this that I just think is absolutely brilliant. And it's just said in a way that, you know, you see these old 1940s detective series, you know, detective, and it's like, Someone would say something, you know, I sh- I knew I shouldn't have got messed up in all this, you know. Uh, Ed Crane, he's just spoken to John Polito in the barber shop, And it cuts to later on that evening and he stood in the doorway smoking a cigarette and his wife's in the bath behind him. Yeah. And he just says, dry cleaning. I must be crazy to even be thinking about it. <laughs> As if it's, like, it's such a boring topic. It's such a like. <laughs> and the thing is, is he totally gets turned over for the money, doesn't he? Right. And then you're just like, but you don't mind because it's just like, well, it wasn't his money. No, you know, easy come, easy go. Yeah, but you don't know that, do you? Because that's how they get him at the end, isn't it? That's that's the ending you didn't see. Because you think, yeah, yeah, where, yeah, yeah, where's this going now? His wife's dead. Everything's sort of been wrapped up, and then he. What we what we haven't touched upon is the fact that in the beginning, when Big Dave's first being blackmailed, he suspects it's the dry cleaning guy because he was the one who was originally going to invest in the dry cleaning, wasn't he? It's weird, isn't it? Because he's got the note. Ed's written him the note. They go to a party at Nerdlingers, which is a big apartment store that Big Dave's wife owns. Yeah, or her family. So Ed, we know, is blackmailed Big Dave. And then Big Dave goes, Ed, calls him in. I could have talked to you. And he starts blubbing like a baby. I've done a bad thing, Ed. And he confessing to having an affair with someone. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and all the time we know it's him. You know, Ed knows it's him. Yeah. But Dave is like crying with a cigar in his hand. And Ed takes the cigar out of his hand. He's like, you're going to burn yourself there. You know, he's <laughs> like really caring for this man who's confessing to sleeping with someone's wife yeah. when it's actually his, Ed's wife. Paul Gardolfini. Is- it's a brilliant scene because it makes you... Um, is it Paul or is it James? I always say Paul Gandolfini, don't I? It's James Gandolfini, you're quite right. But he always... Um, that scene is brilliant because it 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 is necessary to really make you despise Big Dave's character, isn't it? You know what I mean? The fact yeah. that he's got the nerve yeah. when he's being blackmailed 
to sit there and the person he chooses to confide in is the unsuspecting husband of the woman that he's banging behind his back. Again, it's that awkwardness, isn't it? You're just watching it going, oh, this is, this, this is slightly wrong. When they go in there before um, before Big Dave starts talking, yeah. like they're both in the dark, aren't yeah. they? They're both in, in the shadows again, like, you know, because Ed doesn't know what Big Dave wants and Big Dave doesn't know that Ed knows that Big Dave's banging his wife and he sent the letter. And like you say, yeah, now I think about yeah, it. She is really clever. Yeah, they they, they do back. it throughout the whole film. Um, but when, um, when Big Dave finally gets uh, Ed Crane back to his office at Nerdling is uh, to confront him yeah. saying that he knows it's him. The reason Big Dave knows it's him because he's gone and found the, uh, he calls him a patsy, doesn't he? No, pansy. The pansy. pansy. Right. He calls him a pansy. Yeah. Because he made a pass at him as well, probably. Yeah. 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 So he says he's gone and beat it out of the pansy and that's all that's said about it. So clearly Big Dave, like, really frustrated about having to give up this 10k has gone and gone to get it back and gone to beat the money back out of him but in the actual fact found out that um ed crane was the one that was blackmailing him and that's how ed crane got the money but that's all it said about it isn't it so you sort of think oh is this going to come at the end is it all going to be all right and he's going to be partners or has he just been stitched up and then it's after the last scene with scarlett johansson he takes her to see this music teacher doesn't he he thinks she's really good and she should go and play music and he's going to pay for her tutoring and he takes her to this interview and she doesn't do very well does yeah. she she plays nice the bloke says a little french man isn't it she plays nice she doesn't fit play from the heart she plays with the fingers yeah 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 i think this was the first time i saw scarlett johansson in a film originally I can't think I'd ever seen her in anything else. I think she was only 15 when she played this role. Right. Since I've seen her in other things younger, um, we watched Home Alone 3 with the kids over Christmas. Yeah. And she's the young sister in that. Obviously now she's all over the place. Big big star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so she's driving home with Ed and then she's like, I just want to, you know, I'm sorry I didn't make you happy. And then she's crouches down into his crotch. <laughs> I just want to make you happy. And he's like, heaven to Betsy. (laughs) Birdie, Birdie, stop. (laughs) And then he crashes the car. um, And then he wakes up in the hospital. And then you've got the two detectives there looking over with the doctor. And it's that real awkward scene. Every time they start talking, Ed makes a noise. And then they go back to Ed. And what did he say? I think he said this. And it's just that awkward scene. But then when they realise he's come around, they're like... "Uh, we're arresting you. You're under arrest. And that's when you realise that, or Ed goes into his voiceover again and explains that they found the pansy. They pulled out the fan- pansy's car out of the out of a lake or out of a river. And he's dead in there. And he's been beaten to death and basically drowned. And he's got Ed's signature all over the... The contracts, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the dry cleaning. Which ties him. Yeah. And uh, so his he basically ends up getting arrested for the murder of the pansy that Big Dave done, which was a consequence of him blackmailing Big Dave, which was a consequence of him meeting the pansy and deciding to take that dangerous leap from becoming being a barber into becoming a dry cleaner. <laughs> it makes you think, don't 
change your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the moral of this story is if <laughs> if you think you're in a dead end job, stay there. <laughs> Do you know, I was fishing for a long time to try and think what the moral to the story was, Trev, but now you've sewed that up for me. I feel I feel like there's a new <laughs> level of satisfaction to that film now. But I love the, the, the parallel at the end where when he goes in to be executed for ages you're watching people come into the barber shop and sitting in his chair and he's cutting their hair and now you've seen ed go into a chair and sit down to have his hair cut and they make a big deal about shaving the hair off of his leg for the electrodes to touch don't they yeah yeah he, he ended up dying in a chair having his hair yeah cut, in a, in a, i suppose in an electrified barber's chair yeah <laughs> and it's you know in in the impetus for chasing dry cleaning was his fear of, of being stuck with this chair <laughs> cutting hair. Oh, uh, is a bit of, as well, like when he's in, he's sort of having his uh, midlife crisis, isn't he? In the, and he's in the barber shop, and there's the boy sat there reading a comic and he's cut the boy's hair and he's just staring at his hair. It just keeps growing or something. And his brother's <laughs> like, yeah, good for us. And he's like, I'm going to throw this hair in the dirt. Out back, yeah. I'm going to mingle it with common <laughs> household dirt. It's like, his brother's just like, what the hell are you on about? He like, doesn't have any sort of, he's just the a common man, isn't he? His brother doesn't have any deep thoughts like that. It's just great. I just, it makes me want to watch all the Coen brothers films again. I just want to watch this one again. Well, Nave, I think we've sort of talked all we can about this film, don't you? Oh, mate. I think there's plenty more that we could sit here and talk about, but I'll end up watching it again, and I've got a lot to do before I go to bed. So, thanks ever so much for listening, everyone. If you have any comments, please pop over to Facebook. We did talk about movies podcast, or you can comment on any of our videos on Hag Films channel. And as I say, don't forget, I've got my new series over there where I'm doing quick reviews and first views of films that I own but have never watched. Have a watch, innit? Will do. And we'll see you all next week, everyone. Chase! Chase!